On this week in sales, we're going to be taking a look at why brands are shifting from digital to human to human, how 58% of sales reps require coaching to sell in the virtual environment, why Google is capping the sales reps' commissions, their bonuses, after they've been taking over $1 million a year in commissions home at the end of the year, and much, much more. My name is Will Barron. I'm the founder over at Sales.org, and joining me, the co-host of This Week in Sales, Sales Royalty. Sales legend, Victor Antonio. Victor, how's it going, sir? Will Barrett, all is good. For, for the folks who are listening to this right now, it took Will three times to get that intro down. I don't know where his head's at. He wants to take some time off. He's already thinking vacation. He wants to abandon me on this show. That's fine, Will. Is your head in the game, Will? I just need to know that your head's in the game. My head is in the game, Victor. I feel like, though, it's been a long few months of content <laughs> recording, and so I'm probably due a break. I think we talked about it before off air. I've not had a week off work, like a legit a week off. I've not had four or five days off in maybe four or five years. Since, wow. this, since I went to Italy last, we went to Rome on holiday. That was the last time I had time off. So you're right. I appreciate you holding me accountable here for screwing up the intro three times. Hopefully that'll be an outtake at the end of this show and it'll be in, in the Christmas special. And uh, hopefully we'll get some outtakes of Victor as well. The professional that he is, occasionally, occasionally he slips up. I slip up far more though. Just once in a while, just <laughs> once in a while. But all is good on this side. Hey, by the way, can I make an announcement, Will? If you, you don't mind. So you know that we got this Outbound conference coming up in June here in the US. So I just want to point people to go to Outbound conference.com check out all the speakers we got i mean great speakers coming in including yours truly and just use the discount code victor 100 to get a little bit off that ticket that's Amazing it stuff and we'll link that in the show notes over at thisweekinsales.com there we go that is my one obligatory plug for the website as well victor you can handle the, all the rest of the plugs and the transitions to the rest of the episode mate because uh, that, that's where you're the best at bro <laughs> <laughs> Got it. <laughs> okay, well, let's jump into this. And this article is from MediaPost.com. There's some numbers here. And some of this surprised me. Some of this flipped uh, my thoughts and opinions on everyone going virtual on its head slightly. And the article was entitled, B2B Goes Home, Brand Shift from Digital to Human-to-Human -human Tactics. And from the article, I will uh, verbatim here quoting, B2B marketers are suffering from digital fatigue. 81% of B2B revenue leaders think that their target audiences are suffering from digital exhaustion. Victor, are you suffering from digital exhaustion? I do. I am suffering from it. Well, I suffer from a lot of things, but this is also part of it. I think I think we're all like, it's not so much digital exhaustion as it is like, you know, I, I like to zoom fatigue. I like I like the word fatigue because I think we're finding, you know, some leverage with this digital. Now, notice, notice the words here. 81% of B2B revenue leaders think, they think, they don't know. They think people are suffering from exhaustion, but I, I think people are suffering from poor meetings or poor meeting planning. And this is like, you know, even when we go back to our daily lives in the offices, guess what? We all suffer from meeting fatigue. So I, th I think it's true in the digital world as well. I, I agree. You've got to, as we talk about all the time, you've got to, you've got to put one piece of content uh, or a data against another so they've got a comparable here. And so if you asked B2B revenue leaders if they think their target audiences are suffering from digital exhaustion, that's one thing. If you ask them, would they rather suffer from digital exhaustion than fly, travel, spend nights in hotels, whatever it is, which is the alternative, then they might be being slightly less soft about digital exhaustion moving forward. I agree. I agree. 
Okay, so it's following on from this post, uh, this is over at mediapost.com. Uh, again, quoting, making a shift. The top channel, this is B2B marketers, the top channel they plan to use in the next 12 months is direct mail, followed by direct phone calls. So they're trying to go, B2B marketers here, they're trying to go old school with some of this. Is there, is there yeah. value in that, Victor? There's always value in that. Like, well, we talked about omnichannel in the last episode of This Week in Sales. You know, like anything else, it's, well, it's always like a pendulum, right? So if it's, let's go digital analog, it swings back and forth, eventually trying to find some steady state, but never quite getting there. So maybe we're moving back towards, hey, you know what? Maybe we should just kind of actually write our own email. Hey, you know what? Maybe we should actually pick up that phone. There's an idea for you. So uh, I think it's a good idea. For sure. And and a few numbers from this post as well. Virtual events have grown by 1,000%. Marketing emails have increased by 62%. Sales calls by 28%. And ad spend during the pandemic period by 22%. So it could just be, as you're saying here, ad spend goes up. There's still only so many eyeballs on all these platforms. So uh, you might have to spend more to get in front of the same people. Same with events, whether they be a virtual or in-person the more events, if there's a thousand more virtual events than there was uh, kind of 12 months, 18 months ago, then of course there's going to be more competition. It's going to be harder to break through. And if people are doing less direct mail, less just picking up the phone, then that's that's the hack, mm. isn't it? That's the shortcut to break through some of the noise here. And I, and I think that's always it, right? Well, try to figure out once it's moving in one direction, your job is to go the other direction. If it moves digital, let's go analog. Let's pick up a phone. Everybody starts going phone. Let's go ahead and go back to digital. And it swings back and forth. But I'm, you know, I like this number. This sales calls by twenty eight percent. I like the fact that that's increased because I, I I hate hearing that cold calling is dead. I think smart call, cold calling is always going to be around if they know how to do it correctly. So I'm glad that number's increasing a little bit. I mean, what are your thoughts on on calling people in general? It's done. It's dead. It's over. Try and call me, Victor. <laughs> Victor, we've been doing the show for 22 episodes. I think this is episode 20, 23. 23. You don't have my number, do you? I don't think I have your number, actually. Yeah. No. And, and you can have it. I can, oh, you're I'll, right. I'll you're give it right. to you. I don't have, I don't have your yeah. phone number. Isn't that funny? That is funny. I don't have any <laughs> office phone. I have one mobile phone that I use for both personal and business. And most business calls that I do, I do via Skype, even if it's an audio call. Just because it's, it's so much easier and most of my customers are in the US and it's loads cheaper and, and more convenient to do uh, kind of VOIP, voice over IP calls uh, via something like Skype rather than it's really grainy and horrible to connect over the uh, you know a more traditional mobile signal. Right. So yeah, I'll give you my phone, call, phone number after this episode, Victor. But if I'm, which we talked about, I think it was last week or the week before, millennials are now moving into these buying positions and I don't think... I don't think it's an unusual case for millennials to have a mobile phone, no desk office phone, and it becoming more more increasingly difficult to get hold of. So I will, it's a strong statement to say cold calling is dead. I will use whatever tactic I can to get in front of a potential buyer right and, and get deals closed and move things forward. But in my experience, especially dealing with people, millennials, my kind of age, they want a text, they want an email, even if it's a text or an email to set up a call uh, and a, an appointment and a meeting later on. Just to ran if someone just randomly cold called me and started pitching me or, uh, and uh, the other side of this, I've never had anyone cold call me and I've gone, that was really awesome. So maybe I'm missing out on some of this. Because <laughs> uh, I'm sure, I'm so sure there are some That's people, so right, that are so skilled that they can, uh, you know, if you cold call me, I'm sure you'd get my attention within a few seconds and maybe the conversation would go and move forward. Um, but I've never had a good cold call ever and uh, yeah no I, 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 I gotta say this so yesterday uh, I had a coaching call right gentleman wanted coaching and he wanted to give me his pitch right 
and he gives me his pitch. And it sounds like every other pitch, you know, it's that if da 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 da, would that be of interest to you? You know, if da 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 da, you know, are you interested in making more money or growing your business? And I'm like, and I, and I, I stopped him. And this is where I think cold calling fails. I stopped and I said, do you realize you sound like everybody else? And even your cadence is what I call singy songy, yep. that you know a sales pitch is coming. It's like you can see it a mile away, in your case, a kilometer away, right? So you can see it at a distance. And I, I said to myself, oh, oh, do you? Yeah, cars, <laughs> uh, road signs, everything's in miles per hour. It, in, okay. in Europe, they use kilometers. Okay, my bad. So you're in Leeds, got it. So I, I said to him, I said, just tell me how you can help me. And he goes into the pitch. I said, stop. I said, stop. Just tell me how you can help me. I just want you to tell me how you can help me in plain English, English, no jargon. Just give it to me straight. And it took us about 10 to 15 minutes just to get there because yep. he couldn't do it. And he didn't appreciate his value. And that's why I think cold calling is lost. That's why I think the art of cold calling is missing. Everybody's too scripty, too singy-songy. And if that's you, stop doing it. For sure. Well, it's a, it's a conversation and a, perhaps a different podcast for a different time. But I find when I'm reviewing cold calls within uh, the salesman or community and, and that side of things, typically everyone does what you're describing. It's ha da 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 And because they're saying the same thing over and over and over, <laughs> yeah. it's not conversational. And it, you, you can smell it a mile away. And obviously your instinct is just to go, hold on a second. Is this going to take yeah. more than 15 seconds? Email me. Send me a brochure. Whatever right. it is, you need to. It's almost like you need to start a cold call with, uh, "Hey, would you like to buy some children?" And then the person will be like, "What?" <laughs> oh, I don't know. There's a pile of hot dog sausages at the front. And you'd be like, "What?" Something what? like that is what you need to kind of break through this this barrier that I think we've all built up with cold calling. Yeah, I think everybody's copying each other. But anyway, let's move on. I got I got something exciting. I'm excited about this. You may not be, but I'm excited. Deal Hub, company I never heard of, let's be honest <laughs> about that, recognized as a CPQ Momentum Grid Leader for Spring 2021 by G2. Now, I stopped right away because uh, last week, or earlier this week rather, I was in a conversation about CPQ, which is configure price and quote, right? That's what the algorithms can now do. And we've had this conversation, Will, about can salespeople be replaced in a B2B scenario? And so I'm going to come at it from a different angle and try to make my case even more that this is really going in the right direction. Because when you look at configure price quote, basically the machines can do that now. But anyway, let me talk about DealHub. DealHub is recognized as a momentum leader by G2 in six categories, including CPQ, again, which stands for configure the system, price the system, actually quote and propose the system. Deal Hub is a leader. Uh, I should have added it's highly rated for CPQ. G2 is, here's an interesting thing. Did you know about G2, which is the world's largest tech marketplace where businesses can discover, review, and manage the technology they need to reach potential, uh, need to reach their potential with 8,000 products listed, 80,000 products listed, and more than 1 million authentic reviews posted. Did you know about this site, well, G2? Have you not come across G2 before? I have not come across G2. I go... It's huge, especially in the tech startup world. When you look at uh, companies that we talk about all the time, Gong, Outreach, uh, brands like that, they will they will go massively out of their way to get reviews from customers on these platforms, give discounts, do all kinds of stuff. Uh, and G2 is the biggest one of these. Uh, they call it a marketplace. It's a review mm -hmm. site, really. That's what it is. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's massive. I... 
I have to admit, I, I tap on this one as far as ignorance. I go, I never looked at the site. And so when I saw this, I go, this is interesting. But I really wanted to highlight DealHub as a company, but the CPQ configure price and quote, which means that uh, for those of you who don't know, are familiar with the phrase is that if you have, let's say, a system you have to configure, let's say, I don't know, you're building a tower or something, a you know, telecommunications tower, it can actually configure what the location will look like. It will then price the system. By price the system, I mean not just put price down, but maybe combine prices. Look that the, the algorithm will actually look at past deals, past price, what discounts level works, so forth and so on, and then put a proposal together. And this has really taken the work out of a lot of B2B sales processes and shortening the sales cycle. And that's why I really love this. So I wanted to highlight this. Your sure. thoughts, Will? Uh, I, I agree. Makes total sense. I would like to see it in, in practice. I'd like to see it, the, the speed of it in practice. I'm reading a book at the moment. It's called From Entrepreneur to Millionaire. Uh, the author, Kent, has been on the Salesman podcast recently. And the one of the things he talks about is deal packaging. And this is something I've never really considered before. We all do it and we, we all go into an account to say, hey, this is the menu, essentially. We can do this, 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 and this, and this. Here's the pricing. Maybe there's a 10% discount. There's a 2% discount if you pay the invoice before the end of the month. But what Kent's talking about is how can you go in and, to use kind of a buzzword, how can we go in and strategically package our product or services to both add more value to the buyer, but also drive way more revenue. And the whole, the whole point, put, uh, the whole premise of the book is to drive profitability as opposed to just drive uh, top line uh, revenue and, and, and numbers on that front. And that really I think got me thinking. Sorry, go yeah, I, No, no, I was going to say, I interviewed a guy by the name, uh, Chris Mealy, and his, his company's all about price strategies. Mm -hmm. They go into companies and all they do is look at their pricing. So if you got like a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand SKUs, they begin to look at with their software, how you can best package things up to maximize profitability. So as you pointed out so accurately, instead of focusing on trying to increase revenue, they're just trying to maximize profitability with every single deal. And I think it's a great strategy. Yep. And, and, and the premise of Kent's book is that you might do more revenue by doing X, Y, Z, one, two, three, having more products or services, whatever it is. But then you've got to have more people to manage it and you've got to add this and then your service changes. And so the as the deals get more complex, as you add more SKUs, if it's a you know, physical product or a widget along those lines, your profitability actually goes down the more revenue that you, that you have. And so again, this book is for small to medium-sized companies as opposed to the enterprise, for entrepreneurs to kind of drive revenue to become millionaires. But this deal package idea, I thought that was really interesting and valuable because it's something that I feel it would be very difficult for a bot, automation, anything like that, AI to put together. Because it comes out of the strategy and the way he outlines it, it comes out of sitting down with someone and saying, hey, we can solve this for you, but what do you really need solving? And so it, you know, it's an extended sales conversation, really. And you say, well, we can do it on this. We'll solve this problem, but it's going to cost you X, Y, Z. And doing it there in one meeting and, and packaging services, products together, um, I, I've gone backwards on my thoughts of some of this idea that sales reps can be automated, replaced. I think if you're selling widgets, you could probably be replaced pretty easily. Mm -hmm. But when you get into higher uh, deal sizes, more complex sales, when I read Kent's book and I, I said going through this deal packaging side of things, I was, it was like a, it was a smack in the head of that is where the value is. That's what an individual mm. who's got more expertise in the marketplace can do with someone who has less expertise, less business acumen. They're really going to struggle in that conversation because they're not going to know really what they're talking about. And so if you can nail that, that could both set you as a part of the salesperson and as a small business owner, that could double your revenue in, in one deal. 
No, I love that. I was uh, interviewed this past week uh, by uh, uh, some folks uh, who were doing a paper on, on AI. And one of the things I highlighted was, and this is obvious to you, is that the buyers are further into the buying cycle, right? Mm -hmm. And when they finally reach out in a complex sale to call you, for example, I said they're calling for one of three things. One is for clarification, right? One is just for the confidence, right? So it's, I want to clarify what I know. Right? Confidence, you know, and then if I have any concerns, you know, resolve those for me. And then I'm going to make a buying decision. And I think that's where, again, I don't think salespeople in a complex sales will be kicked out in the end. But the buyer will be further into the buying cycle and you need to be a domain expert. And I think that's where the gentleman in the book uh, is probably highlighted. That's, that's where you provide real value. And that's what people will pay for. Yeah. And it's, it's the difference between what well, we all know, we've all read books on on the consultative sale. It's the difference between training a 16-year-old in two weeks to do the consultative sale versus having someone who's tenured come into your organization. Where even if it's an outside consultant, you have an agency, you have someone else come in, you can help facilitate some of this deal packaging so that everyone wins and everyone is happy and everyone's excited about it. I feel like that might be, especially again for the the more agile, agile, small, medium-sized organization who is selling perhaps into the enterprise who can solve problems and there's a consulting element to the deal. I think that's probably, it's probably where my future lies as well uh, with regards to kind of solving problems in, in, in the brands that we work with. I love it. I love it. Anyway, leave us your feedback on thisweekinsales.com, especially if you're working with like pricing and packaging and you're doing something different. Love to hear what you have to say. Cool. Well, talking about pricing, let's go to Salesforce because they can give you, if you've got 20 billion in budget, you could probably spend it with them. They've just launched, and this is from the salesforce.com blog. They uh, entitled Salesforce Reimagine Sales Cloud to Drive Growth in a Sell from Anywhere World. They've just launched, reimagined, and redone a bunch of products and services to make them fit better into the kind of ecosystem that they're building over there. Um, so, I'll jump in, and this is again quoting from the article. 61% of salespeople believe their roles have changed permanently since COVID-19 began. And the rest of the people in that study don't think that it's changed permanently because they don't know what's going on and they're idiots. Clearly, things have changed permanently. Um, I've added that bit at the end. That was not Salesforce. Nice, nicely done. <laughs> Even when salespeople are able to get back on the road into offices, 51% expect to travel less than they did pre-pandemic and fewer than half expect to go back to the office at all. So with that said, the foundations laid here, Victor, um, there was tons of announcements in this blog post, which we'll link over at thisweekinsales.com, but there was three that stood out to me. One, Salesforce meetings, right? We talked about Salesforce buying Zoom, uh, other people buying Zoom. Salesforce are doing this level of integration now. Salesforce meetings are now generally available and makes virtual conversations more engaging. Ahead of a meeting, salespeople have a 360-degree view of all the attendees on a single screen. And so there's a dashboard of like pre-meeting, during meeting, post-meeting. Uh, they have account history, all the CRM. It's all built into that. It's all seamless. And it all looks very pretty as well. And of course, this is going to lead to, it has to, right? If you've got good data, this has got to lead to more engaging conversations, doesn't it? Oh, I, I'm excited about this because if you do look at their dashboard, you see the content on there. It's almost like a roadmap around the actual the screen so you can see you're having this conversation. Uh, it'll be interesting down the road, like when AI really kicks in and you get some live updates. I'm waiting for them 
So for those of you listening to this, uh, and you can't visualize this, imagine a Zoom call right dead center in your screen, and then all around you have all kinds of data about the customer you're actually talking to. The next layer is, you know, visual recognition. You know, that facial recognition where they can actually start reading the faces and kind of give you some, some metrics to look at during the conversation live. I also like the fact that they were actually, and I, I think you'll get this towards the bottom, I think it's where they actually analyze the conversations in real time. Yep. And I thought that was interesting. And just one point that you said there, Chorister AI, I interviewed their CEO not too long ago. I think I might have touched on this on the show. I think it might have been an episode where it was just uh, myself on a solo episode, Victor. I asked him, are you working on this kind of stuff? Are you monitoring people's facial expressions? Are you working on real-time updates? And they said that they experimented with it. And this was before Christmas, so things might change. They said they experimented with it, but they found that the calls actually became less valuable to the, the buyer from the sales perspective, salesperson side, because they were distracted. They weren't in the zone. They weren't really listening. They weren't in the conversation. And so they've pulled back on some of these experiments. Again, this is in December when I had this conversation, uh, maybe even late November. So maybe things have changed. Who knows? But they that is, back. That is, that is, that is yeah. really interesting, Will. That is a real, t- that's a real plot twist right there. So they, they, as I said, they found, and they, I assume they were doing eye tracking and, and things on, on both sides of the conversation. They found that the seller was less engaged. So the buyer was less engaged and there was just a disconnect. So if you jump on a call, you know, you can imagine it. if you jump on a call, if, we, if we're communicating right now and I've got, well, Victor's not happy, Victor's this, uh, or you, perhaps you've got a producer in your ear saying, hey, move on to the next topic. Stop waffling on what are you are talking about. Nobody cares about what you're saying. Well, <laughs> whatever it is, you're going you're gonna to be less engaged in the conversation, aren't you? Yeah. But by the way, so when I was doing my reality TV show, I, I had an earbud, right? You know, stuck in my ear, in ear pieces. And sometimes the director would say things, right? Like, hey, you know, do this, say this, ask him this question. And I had, finally had to say, I had to go, like, we cut and I went back to the trust and shut up, man. Do not talk in my ear unless absolutely necessary because I can't focus on the conversation. Because the person's talking, but you're hearing something. Yeah. So in this case, what you're saying is a person's talking, but I'm seeing something. And I think that's really interesting. Well, I, I would love to see any type of study on that. That'd be great. For sure. And you mentioned AI earlier on, and that brings us to Einstein. And I love the branding behind Salesforce's Einstein and, and the, the naming of it as well. Perfect. Absolutely crushes it. Uh, quoting from this blog post again, Einstein Conversation Insight, in, Einstein Conversation Insights analyzes video call transcripts, basically gong, right? Um, visualize trending keywords, product names, types of interactions, such as competitor mentions, by understanding where sales teams are struggling or what customers want to discuss. Managers can customize training and one-to-one coaching to better align their team's precise needs when they can't walk the sales floor. So it looks mm. like Salesforce isn't buying Gong. It looks like they're just going to... Yeah, just gonna so I, it, right? I have a question, Will. This is... Uh, you know, we're going to throw some drama into this conversation all the time. So does this mean companies like Gong... Chorus.ai and the like are in trouble. It's because, you know, it's like if you own the CRM and you just bolted this thing in yourself, why do I need any type of other conversational AI type of product? So where does that leave all these players? I think it's a good question to ask. I think if you asked people who manage CRM, you will have people who are trained in, have always used and will always use moving forward Salesforce. Then you have people who go, I'm not a good experience with Salesforce for whatever reason. We're going to use one of 
the other, clearly Salesforce is the market leader, right? Especially in larger enterprise, larger organizations. Then you've got sales people who are, you know, we're a sales engineer. We've implemented this. We've had issues in the past. We won't use Salesforce. We'll use something else. So I don't know what that market split is. I don't know the market cap and, mm. and in comparison to other organizations, the revenue they're doing. Clearly, Salesforce dominate the space from a revenue perspective. But yeah, it could be the market is just so big that Gong can plug into API and and communicate with other Hub, uh, HubSpot, whoever, uh, PipeDrive, other CRMs, and the market's so big that it doesn't really matter. I guess a lot of it will come down to what the strategy is from the investor side of things because Gong has had, a, I don't know so much about the background of Chorus to AI, but Gong has had a ton of money pumped into it. Clearly, it's massively fast growing. But if you're uh, embedded with the VCs, obviously they want that. They, they don't want it to just grow and, and plod along. They want an IPO. They want a buyout. They want an acquisition. That's the only right. reason that they're involved whatsoever because they want to get their cash out as soon as possible. Well, this you know, this implementation, this Einstein conversational insights. If they're able to do it, and then the other big giant is Microsoft, right? You know, they can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're moving you know in the direction of business intelligence. They're doing it. So that means I, I wonder. Well, I'm just talking out loud, just kind of doing my hypothetical here. Is that companies like Gong, Course AI? Let's just say putting put the names aside. Conversational AI companies. You know, I think now is their season. And if they don't find somebody to partner with, somebody to kind of latch on to, I think they're going to be caught in either one of two situations. One, they're out, they're out cold. Nobody's going to buy the company because it's going to be a standalone product. It'll always be limited in its growth. Or how about this? What if these conversational AI companies build their own CRM? I, I don't and think maybe that's going to retrof- I'm, I'm dreaming here. I'm trying to give them some options here. I'm trying to give them some back doors here. Well, I'm trying happen. to give them some back. You know, Will, it, it's Never that type happen. of negative thinking. It's <laughs> the negative thinking that does not allow creativity to you know to blossom. Why, why, why don't you think it'll happen out of curiosity? It, it can't. A CRM is one you getting someone to switch from chorus to gong, gong to chorus, fine. Not end of the world mm-hmm. stuff. I agree. Um, you, but hopefully, if they've done their engineering right, it should be somewhat seamless to be able to switch from one to the other. To migrate CRM, if you've got five years, ten years, if it's an in-house box that they've you know it's been engineered twenty years ago, no one's going to change that to uh, to take the advantage of of uh, you know of a CRM add-on to one of these kind of conversational. I see what you're saying. I see, I see what you're saying because switchover is always a big problem, right? It's like I've invested so much in the in the system, I'm not going to switch over. But I'm wondering that the place still may be that people who don't have like small, medium-sized enterprises, maybe where they're not committed fully to a CRM, there might be an opportunity there. But all I know is that the fact that they've added this. And you know they're probably going to be pretty good at it, right? So I think these conversational AI companies better start partnering with a CRM quickly. One thing that we never talk about, or an organization that we never seem to talk about, is Amazon. I wonder if Amazon have mm. aspirations to be in kind of the B two B software space because clearly they must have their own. I, I assume Amazon doesn't use Salesforce, for example. I assume that they've got their own internal CRMs and, and systems that they're using because that's the whole premise of Amazon as an organization of we build it, we dominate it, and no one else can touch it. There's so many moats and, and things that people mm-hmm. would have to copy that they'll never catch up to us because we're so far ahead. So I wonder what they use internally. I'd love to ask someone who's selling AWS, um, Amazon Web Services, what CRM they use. If anyone listening, do drop us a message over at thisweekinsales.com. I'd love to know if it's their own product that they built internally 
I mm -hmm. doubt that they're using an external CRM. And I'd love to see if they've got aspirations to to roll out um, roll out that side of things because I could see Amazon, if your whole company is built on the AWS stack and they do, uh, you can do emails from them. Uh, I can't remember what the service is called, but it's essentially the same as Mailgun where you can send emails at, at scale for very cheap. Um, if you, you know, you, that might be a value add for a customer when so much of your software stack internally is already built on, on AWS. Maybe you could talk someone into uh, kind of using a CRM from that perspective. Um, yeah. Because they're such a beast and we never talk about them. Yeah, but, but I'm wondering if they would consider it a conflict of interest, right? Because, you know, AWS, Amazon Web Service, you know, if they would start selling those products, because remember, part of their their uh, allure is that they're building all this stuff in the background and then making it public so people can use, you know, the tool sets and everything to accelerate how fast they get into AI. So I wonder if they would see it as a conflict of interest if they started competing with some of these companies. And maybe they say, you know what, let's just make money providing the cloud service. Sure. Why not? Let's make our billions. Sure. But anyway, let's talk about digital in-store engagement. That's right. I'm going on the other side of the food chain. We're always talking B2B. We're always talking enterprise. B2B complex sale. Let's go back into the stores, Well, if you don't mind, where real sales happen. Digital in-store engagement, media or merchandising. That was the title of the company. Uh, the article over at Progressive Grocer. That's right. Victor went to Progressive Grocer. Will, I am so... I don't know if you went to look at this site, but I am just telling anybody listening to this, you need to go and look at this company called CoolerScreens.com. So you go to a website called CoolerScreens.com. And on this article, again, the article is on Progressive Grocer. We'll put the link in the description. So Meteora Group's president discusses how retail media is poised for growth as out-of-the-home engagement. You typically hear DOOH, which is digital out-of-the-home engagement, models gain traction. What caught my attention was this little part right here, a digital in-store solution engineered for a specific category is the digitized freezer doors manufactured by Cooler System. I, that just, what, what do you mean digital freezer doors? So basically by Cooler System, it's an innovative solution converts normally unexciting frozen and chilled aisles into a bright wall of digital display. Have you seen some of this, Will? That the whole, instead of just looking at a clear glass, Will's going to say something. Just let me finish. Let me get through this wall. You know I'm going to have an opinion yeah. on this one. So, so instead of looking through a clear glass, you have, it's just like a giant TV basically representing what's behind that glass in a more organized fashion. And what I loved about it was that, first of all, you can see these dynamic videos, more advertising, but also is the way they manage pricing and dynamic pricing on these screens and all the sales. I mean, it's a fascinating, a fascinating approach to selling more in the cold section. This gives a new meaning to cold calling. Go ahead, Will. What do you have to say? <laughs> Victor, if I'm in the frozen now and I'm buying some fish fingers, right? Don't you call them chips or something like that? What else do you call these things? Fish fingers? Fish, do you not know, you know have fish fingers in the US? All, uh, we do, like, we do. I just, cod I fingers. just yeah, yeah, I just thought you had a different name for them. You guys are different over there, so I'm just trying to clarify and make sure we're on the same page here. So we'll, we'll call fries <laughs> chips. That, that's, that's the yeah. That's, yeah, that's okay. So go ahead. So if, I'm, if I'm in Tesco, right, I'm going mm -hmm. buying some fish fingers. Go I'm on. Fancy a fish finger body for lunch, right? Yes, well. Victor, how over-engineered is a big screen that's going to have dynamic pricing, that's going to flash up fish fingers in my face because it uses uh, retinal um, tracking to know that, oh, I'm scanning, I'm looking for the fish fingers, and when I look at it, it goes, oh, and it gives me an offer. 
how over-engineered is that? And how how much is it really going to add to the bottom line when you can just use a glass door, I can just open, my fish, open the door, get me fish fingers and carry on shopping? I think, again, well, I think sometimes, I don't know if it's because you're over in the UK that there's a little more pessimism over there. The clouds are dark once in a while, and maybe just too much so that you just don't see the upside of this beautiful technology. When you look at these screens, and the thing is, there's additional information it could provide besides dynamic pricing. It can even give you, you could like hit the button, like you see the picture of the icon, you can hit the button, it'll give you some of the nutritional value of the calories. You can read content not, without actually opening the door. I don't care about the nutritional value of fish fingers. <laughs> I, just, I just want to make sure. I want 12 fish fingers for a couple of quid. I don't, I'm, not pro, I'm not sensitive about the price. I'm not shopping around. I'm not driving to different supermarkets well, to buy different fish fingers. Now, with all that said, as you said that verdict, as you laid out, maybe there would yeah, be value in this if there is a, a big cabinet with headphones or something. And, I, and, and maybe the, you can... Uh, have so, almost like a vending machine behind it so that it looks like shelf space, but it's not really. So you can reduce the size of the store or you can stock more items. And then I click on it and it gives me the, the information about headphones or whatever it is. That would be more I valuable. Think, but when you're trying to I sell think, fish fingers... I think that's also, I think that's also a good idea. Yeah. You see how I do that well? I say that's also a good idea. See how I do that? Well, that's it's all about. See, you're in you're in the but phase. I'm in the and phase. You say yeah, but, and I'm like yeah, and. See, big difference. Well, this is an and. I There's like, so many applications for this technology. I feel like the difference is you said something. I come up with an actual usable concept, and then you jumped on my concept and tried to claim it as your own. I think that's what just happened. <laughs> no, no, I'm so sticking with mine. I think the idea of being able to click on things and just see the nutritional value type of me. Okay, let's go to experience meats, right? You got some steaks you want to buy. Yeah. You want to know a little bit about the steak. Bam, you click that. It'll show you. May even give you some cooking instructions if you say, okay. how do you cook it? Okay, Boom. Let, video let, pops up. Slow down. Let's think about this logically. Okay. So we're going to have the steak section with this beautiful, and say it costs 20 grand to implement. So obviously we've got to earn that back from expensive steaks. That's the first hurdle, right? Yes. Yeah, go ahead. Now, I'm now stood behind Doris who's clicking on every steak and wants to know the information and the cooking temperature and everything on every single one. And I've got shit to do, Victor. And Doris is going through all of these and all I want to do is reach in, <laughs> grab a ribeye, throw it in my basket and get going. I've now got to wait behind Doris for 20 minutes. She's getting her phone out. She's putting her reading glasses on. She's taking pictures of the reading instructions because she doesn't realize you can just get it online. This is a, this is a hassle. This is a mess. I'm just going to disagree with you. Well, uh, well you know what? Thisweekinsales.com, we want your feedback. I want you to, first, before you give us your feedback, go to coolersystems.com. Uh, Make sure I, coolerscreens.com. I want you to look at this technology. Watch the little video. You don't have to give me your email. Just watch the video. And then you tell me, is Will right or is Victor right? This is what I want you to write at thisweekinsales.com. Victor's right. Will's right. That's all we want to know. I'm just cool on, the, or not I'm cool. on the website now. It looks really cool, but n n there's no way this is being used anywhere. And just think of the number of knocks and bumps and scrapes. People are where the shopping trolley and everything's getting bashed. It's just going to be an absolute mess. Now, I think. By the way, by the way, did, did you see? Did you see? We we talked about this. Did you see that application in uh, uh, Seoul, Korea, where while they're waiting for the trains, they got these actual digital displays that actually look or imitate an actual food shelf. Have you seen that? No. Where people can just barcode and actually order their food while they're waiting for the train. And by, hopefully by the time they get home, the food's there. So there's applications for this. And I still think the application in the freezer. 
aisle is still a valid application. Okay, well, let's let's drop it for the moment. We'll let the audience decide. I'll perhaps put a poll in the show notes to this episode, and uh, we can see how ridiculous the example that you given there with the freezer is. We have never been this far apart on an issue. We've never so been this, this far apart. We have apart. never been this far apart. This is like really far apart, and I know I'm right. We've never but been anyway. this far apart on an issue, Victor, that has so little to do with B2B sales that it's like but, taking up 15 minutes of the show uh, and the audience are going, why the heck are you still talking about it? This is what we need your producer. We need your director going, come on, lads, let's get rocking and rolling here. All right, we'll move on. But anyway, I think it's a good idea, and I'm sure we'll find a B2B application for it. But anyway, Gartner Research. You know we always bring up Gartner because they're just busy like little beavers over there doing research on everything. Okay, 58% of sales reps require coaching to better sell in a virtual environment. I'm going to stop right there. Will, what do you think of that statement? I'm just stopping right there. I'm going to tell you what I think. And then I'm going to have a guess at what you think. Is that cool? Okay. That's very cool. So, so what I think is, uh, makes sense. People have been selling one way. People are going, well, you know, I, I work for this organization. Sales isn't my life. This is, this is a job. I go to work. I come back from work. And so maybe I need some coaching. Maybe I need some help. And I think what you're thinking is, why are all these people complaining when it's their careers on the line and they should be getting the coaching, they should be getting the training themselves so that they can earn more money to do investing in themselves so that they can make the most of the opportunity that they're perhaps in right now. And see how I just add to what you just said. I agree with everything you said. And I said, and who's going to train them? Who's going to coach them? Because like for example, most managers have never sold virtually front line, so they're going to be coached by their managers. So hopefully, they got to find people who can actually do this. But we're still in the—I don't want to say a nascent stage of you know virtual selling, but we're trying to figure this out. So you know, and then I go back to what you just said that I would say: figure some of this stuff out. It's not that hard. Stop whining about it. So yeah. But anyway, the new research from Gardner revealed that 93% of sales reps experience challenges that negatively impact their selling capabilities in a virtual environment i mean no sugar honey iced tea you know what i mean come on of course with 58 percent needing dedicated coaching sessions from sales managers to merely function their sales managers have never sold virtually so how can their sales managers help them but anyway according to danielle mckinley director of research and advisory in the gardener sales practice 68 percent of challenges to virtual selling are internal i, I got lost on that one bill Selling percent, 68, 66% of challenges to virtual selling are internal, and it's up to sales managers to take charge. She explained that this includes overhauling an organization's sales coaching culture, and it's a linchpin for the true virtual You know, how many times on this program, how many times on this program do we have to blame it on coaching culture? How many times do we have to do this? If I don't have a real answer or anything of value, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to blame it on a coaching culture that's it blame it on the cc i don't have a real answer so let's blame it on that we don't have the right culture i think maybe what the if you haven't added the extra sentence onto the end of that talking about culture if someone says to me uh, 66 percent of challenges to <laughs> selling virtually are internal that would suggest that it's software it's tools it's time it's infrastructure and some of that may be true if you are mm. working for example myself a medical device organization my background Perhaps we can't use Zoom because I think it is now, but at the beginning of the pandemic, they weren't encrypting their calls. So if I'm dealing with a mm -hmm. surgeon, I'm not, I'm not discussing patient data or anything like that that would be uh, particularly confidential, but perhaps uh, selling to the government in that case, they would want 
the calls to be encrypted, uh, the conversations to be secure. So there is an element of internal infrastructure that perhaps needs to be implemented here. Perhaps it's talking about like sales targets. Um, we perhaps need to shift from so many cold calls, cold emails, outreach a day to perhaps a social selling cadence or something like that. So I can understand that there is an element of internal uh, battles probably between people who are more clued up on some of this. Perhaps people more use these services and tools more often just in their home life already, especially at the beginning of the pandemic. Now, my tolerance for excuses is edging more and more towards what I think yours is, Victor, because it's been 12 months, mm. right? Uh, we all should have adapted and changed in that period. But I can see that there, I can give us a little bit of sympathy in the fact that there might be some internal things that need to go on before this can be done seamlessly or as seamlessly as it's been done in the past. All I know is my, my, my sympathy tank is running on fumes <laughs> with this. You know what I mean? Because this is a leadership problem. It's, again, we're trying to blame sales managers here again. For some reason, we continue to do that. If you're, you're a CXO and you haven't figured this out here, you should be fired. Do you know what I mean? If you haven't figured out what tools your salespeople need, you should be fired. If you're a VP of sales and you don't get your salespeople the tools, you should be fired. I'm firing everybody today, Will. Maybe, you know I, can, I, mean? maybe I can give a bit of context on this from a training perspective. So and you, tell me if you're the same on this, I'm not sure. Um, I've not announced it yet, so I won't talk about it too much, but we're basically redoing all of the content over in our training product at salesman.org. Like, everything is being redone. It's going to be rebranded slightly from the sales accelerator to something else. I mean, you can talk about it off air if you like. But I'm redoing everything with, we're not calling it virtual selling, but with another brand name in mind. And we're doing redoing everything. Um, there's going to be training on using Zoom, using technology, uh, where it is. I know you use similar switches. Um, recommendations on like camera switches, video switches, mm -hmm. so you can get slides up on the screen in front of you without having to rely on software. We're getting through, because these are like 300 quid each. Absolutely bargain mm -hmm. if you want to use a more professional camera setup. Uh, we're talking about lighting. We're getting into all kinds of stuff. We're getting into, um, we do a lot of content on mindsets, um, getting yourself ready and set up for success kind of internally. I know it sounds a bit mm -hmm. cheesy and corny, but th th that element of things and how to do that at home when you've not got a big room of, of people and bravado and stuff uh, kind of aligned with you, uh, the motivational side of things. We're redoing all of our content to align with this. And I could have redone it six months ago. I could have done it uh, 10 months ago at the beginning of the pandemic, but I wanted to see how things panned out, see if this was legit for real, what was going to happen before I committed to it. I didn't want to just rush out a product and it'd be mm. shit six months after the fact, right? And I feel like Correct. I feel like we've got a good idea of what's what's going to happen moving forward. So the reason I tell, say tell you and, and the audience that Victor is maybe there is a little bit of reluctance to make some of these firm changes from a CXO level down because they want to just perhaps they've got the cash reserves, they've got the funding, they're not as precious about sales targets this quarter, this year, this eighteen month period. And they're happy just to let things settle and really build infrastructure in place so that they can do it once and do it properly. Is that is there some grain of truth to that? Maybe there's a, no, there's a lot of truth to that. Well, you know, and I, I I truly like. First of all, I admire that you're actually redoing content. That's a lot of work. Everything absolutely, and, right. Yeah, that's a lot of work, and, I, and, I, and I'm sure it's going to look great. I'm sure it's going to look fantastic. It's going to be great content. But when I when I look at, I put myself in a VP of sales position, right? And I, I see March, I go, ah, oh, you know, last March, I'm like, ah, oh, what do we do, right? Pandemic. You know, by June, July, come on, even you and I pivoted. Even any smart VP would have said, okay, we need to change. 
I think even by the end of the year, people said, you know what? Even if my revenues aren't increasing, my costs are going through the floor and my margins are up. Therefore, this becomes not part of the playbook. Studies like Gardner, who we love, and Forrester, and all these companies are highlighting, this remote selling is not going away. This will now be part of the sales bag. So if I know that already, this isn't a guessing game anymore. I mean, I'll give you the three-month, maybe six-month leeway when we hit the pandemic, when the pandemic started. But now, Will, I mean, if people aren't planning around remote selling as part of their strategy, it's almost like saying, yeah, maybe social media will work. Even though everybody's kind of using it, maybe it'll work. So I think the investment should have been made. And when they say it's an internal problem, that's a leadership problem. That's all I'm putting it back on the leaders because they should have made these changes already. Yeah. I'm holding them accountable well. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I guess the point I was yeah. trying to make, and maybe I didn't make it, or, or the point isn't strong enough, was that if I'm a sales leader, I've never experienced social selling. I've never done uh, mm. connection requests on LinkedIn. I've not built an, a brand and an audience because I've never had to because I'm a killer on the phone, but now I can't get people on the phone because people like me are going, well, I would have a desk phone. Um, and, and, and so there's just that, the, the avenue just disappeared overnight. Well, perhaps they are and have been scrambling to put something in place, but maybe they want to bring in outside help, consultants, you or mm -hmm. I to help with some of this. I know uh, sure. Jeb Blunt, he, he, his book is called Virtual Selling, his last book, wasn't it? Yeah, you got, you got Jeb Blunt's book, Virtual Selling, which is great for, again, a lot of face-to-face -face and some B2B. You got the Enterprise book by The Rain Group, which is also Virtual Selling, another great book. There's a lot of content out there. There's a lot of content that you have already, Will, that could be useful already for a lot of these companies. So I get what you're saying, that the managers maybe didn't know where to find the resources or need to retool, but man, the resources are everywhere. It's just a matter of hiring somebody and bringing somebody in and getting it done. Sure. I, I agree. All I'm saying is I think we can forgive one quarter we can forgive another quarter where trainers, uh, people with domain expertise are scrambling to create content, to teach, to train. Um, so we're then six months in and then the next quarter, perhaps it takes a quarter to implement this, depending on the size of the company. So I'm agreeing with you in that now at this point in time, some of this should mm -hmm. be the new normal within organizations. Um, but I, I'm, I'm becoming more and more lenient as I learn about the struggles internally within uh, brands. And some of our enterprise customers or it sells with Orga are, are swapping and changing and requesting stuff from us, which is great because, uh, you know, I'm creating content on the back of what's been asked for. Um, but that only has really started happening in the past couple of months when they've really gone, okay, this is what we really need. We thought we might need this. We've experimented mm -hmm. with that, but this is what the market's responded to. Our data is in. Can you help us with one, two, three. I would agree. Now, that, that's a great point that, you know, you've gone along. The, if that's what they really mean by internal struggles that, you know, we've gone down as far as we can go. Now we're just waiting for some new data. We got to make some new adjustments that I'm all for as long as they're on that road to virtual selling. You know, I just want to make sure they're on the road already. But I, I think that's a great point you highlight. For sure. Well, from going from hopefully I put a bit of a positive spin for executives there to a negative spin from, I think you will agree with this, stupidity in the B2B sales on the Egyptian marketplace. So this is an article over at Forbes.com entitled, Some cloud, some Google Cloud salespeople took over, took, blah, blah, blah. I'll start again. I'm not doing very well today, I'm a victor with my reading. You're, 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 that's okay, man. That's okay. You're, looking through, you're, looking for, you're looking towards vacation, that's why. You're not focused. You're not here, Will. You're not here. Go ahead. I'll, I'll start again. <laughs> What will be interesting is if I am totally wired when we come back after vacation or if I'm sat here with my sunglasses on, my Hawaiian shirt and my hat and a margarita and I'm going, I'm, we're not going back to normal. This is the new normal for Will Barron now, vacation 24-7. That'll be, uh, that'll be the, the tale to tell. So this is an article from Forbes. Some Google Cloud salespeople 
took home over 1 million salaries, that may come to an end. Long story short, Google executives, uh, Google Cloud executives are knocking back these individuals who are doing killer amounts of commission, absolutely crushing it, and they are capping their commissions. They're using some, uh, what are they using? For example, if a salesperson's quota is 1 million in sales over the course of the year, they would only make commissions on up to 5 million in sales. They're capping it. Victor, should salespeople's commissions be capped? No, <laughs> I do not agree. I do not agree. By the way, that's a lot of money to make. So let's put this in proper in the proper context. Uh, with a few top performing salespeople making over a million dollars. All right. Context here. A few top performing salespeople made over a million dollars. Now, the question is, what did that salesperson make for you in exchange for that one million dollars? If they brought in 50, 100 million dollars, shut up, give the person their money. Do you know what I mean? This whole thing about capping, people are listening to this. And by the way, do I think a million dollars in commission is a lot? Yeah, I think it's a lot. So let me just kind of put exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Yes, I'm with you. But it's not the salesperson's fault for doing their job, excelling at their job. You, you set the contract, you yep. set the deal. And the worst thing you can do, and by the way, hopefully what they did was the following. They've put together a commission plan. Here's the new commission plan because you guys were killing it too much, right? And I get that. Companies do that a lot. But to use the word cap, I, no, bad phrasing. Bad phrasing. What they should use is that we, by the way, to use a medical term here, we're going to bend the curve. Yeah, we're going to bend the curve on the commission payouts. Is that a medical I would term? Been, <clears throat> if a doctor yeah, told me he was going to bend a curve and he was looking at me with the products I used to sell, those scopes, I'd be like, no, nothing's been bent this way, mate. <laughs> you know, they talk about the pandemic, we're looking for the bending of the curve, the deflection point. So maybe they could have changed the accelerations of these actual payments. But what happens is when you cap, if they really mean cap, if you cap me at 5 million and I'm not going to get anything after that, I'm stopping. Yeah, of course. I'm not selling anymore. I'm done. That's the stupidest thing to do. Would you agree? I have zero to add on this, Victor. This is just a farcical. Now, it's a Forbes article, so maybe there's some shenanigans going on here that we don't really mm. uh, understand. Mm. But I know um, I know a chap who worked in sales over at Salesforce who did more than a million in commissions for multiple, not every year, but multiple years over his kind of 10-year period there. He's a consultant now. And that was it. Everyone was happy for him. He was celebrated. He, wasn't, yeah. he didn't have his commission capped. It's... it's, it's, yeah. it's I can't get over it. This is this especially is, a company no, like Google as well. You think that they're going to be forward thinking? They think they're going to they're going to be celebrating. They're going to be taking this person, giving them the commissions, and trying to replicate them. And 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 you know, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing. It, you know what this is? This and I've encountered this. This is envy. This sure. is pure envy. I had a marketing person. It was a director of marketing. We were in a meeting, and uh, she brought up commissions for salespeople. <clears throat> And she talked about capping commissions because salespeople were making too much money. To which somebody said, well, what's your definition of too much money? And then she just hiccuped all over the place. She couldn't answer that. The real answer was, yeah, it's too much money compared to what you're making. And that's why I think the envy piece comes in. So I would rather they retool the compensation plan, never cap, retool it to bring it in line with what you think is reasonable. But if it's only a few people, they brought in, I don't know, $500 million dollars. Let them sell, Will. Let them sell. Sure. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you think on this week in sales. Should salespeople and their commissions be capped? I think not. I agree. But you, and with that, Victor, tell us about someone else who's also complaining about money. And I'm, I'm, all, I'm always you know, disappointed you put this topic in. 
I love this topic. I saw this and I said, Woof, this is for Will. We are now moving into the culture section of this week in sales. So, title. Prince Harry has a new job with a mental health and coaching app that he's been using for months. I mean, that right there caught my attention. Okay. So, so the prince has issues, right? Uh, after stepping down from his role as a senior working member. Wait a minute. He was a senior working member of the royal family last year. The Duke, the Duke of Sussex will become the chief <laughs> impact officer of coaching a mental health company, BetterUp. The Wall Street Journal reported on Tuesday. And I wanted to know, Will, what are your thoughts? Especially after that, after that wonderful interview that they had with Oprah Winfrey. What are your thoughts on the prince? And well, not the I guess the prince and the duke and the, the duchess. What are your thoughts on that? Can I be, can I be really... Uh... Can I be really open and, and frank with you here, Victor? Like you've you've never you've never been anything else. So why hold? Why even clarify or qualify that? And, Go. And can I be slightly kind of vulnerable with yourself and the audience, knowing that like literally tens of thousands of people are going to be listening to this right now? Yeah. Go ahead. By the way, let me brace myself. I feel like I need to brace myself. Go ahead, Will. Um, Go ahead. And for anyone who's just uh, listening rather than watching, uh, you, 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 you can feel the pain as i say this in my voice victor i do not give a shit about the royal family mate i do not care at all it's not a thing it's um it's your generation in the uk who cares about it my uh partner girlfriend she's kind of like but I've, I've got her out of being interested in it because i've now explained to her that it's a business it's not real it's it's a it's it's the Kardashians two hundred years old. That's all that this is. It's just an absolute. <laughs> fact. That's all it is. It's an absolute. The Kardashians um, two hundred years old. That is beautiful. That's what it is. It's the Kardashians. Apart from I'd rather not see the, the, the queen with line. a botoxed ass. That's the that's <laughs> the only difference. You're not going to see the queen with, in, in a bikini. That's the only difference here. It is absolute. Just not real. Just, it is what it is. Look, oh, I've got no oh. interest at all. Oh, that was too much, man. <laughs> that's, that's just rubbish. The, the, the visuals you put in my head will now require me to probably get the app for therapy. <laughs> now, go back to the actual topic. Um, <laughs> okay. Imagine okay, being, so, Imagine. Uh, I assume, I've heard uh, better up advertising podcasts and stuff like this too. I assume okay, it's like uh, a you know, like an online coach or, or therapy. You you ring someone up if you're feeling down. Uh, there's an issue. Or they something. match you. It's it, it's like it's like match.com where they try to match you up with somebody who uh, you know would be you have issues. They match you up with the right person. Or imagine being a therapist. You're sat in your like one bedroom apartment because you can't go to the office, and you're sat there on Zoom going, "Oh, wonder who's next." And then Prince Harry turns up. On, on the camera. <laughs> imagine that. Yeah, I can imagine what the person will say. But I, I think it's interesting. Uh, joking aside, I mean, I think he's trying to. I, I watched the video of, I think it was the CEO of the company, talk about it. And I thought it was really, I thought it was genuine that, you know, this company really wants to help people who are struggling because mental health is a real issue. So I think the app, joking aside about Prince Harry, you know, the I think it's a real issue. And they really want to make the world that much better. And I think when he said he talked to Prince Harry about it, he says they kind of lined up on that, that they really wanted to help the world. Uh, so I think it's really interesting. I mean, so they came up with the title, Chief Impact Officer. Uh, and then I think somebody asked the uh, during the interview, they asked the CEO, so is there a possibility that I can get Prince Harry 
the Duke of Sussex to actually coach. But he goes, eh, not really. You know, that, that would take away from what he's doing. So I think there's some stuff here. There's Look, I think, you know, we're moving into this world where apps are going to be, well, they're everywhere, obviously. But maybe this is a new, you know what I mean? They're really pushing into this mental health issue and they're going in strong with these apps. And there's so many people. You, point, you said there's somebody sitting in their apartment. It could be a therapist, right? But imagine just a person who's sitting in their apartment. And they're, they're, they're struggling. You know, you pull up the app. It's very easy. So I, I think there's a market for this. I, I was surprised that Prince Harry went this direction, but I definitely think there's a great market for this. Yeah. Well, to, to the app to one side, this is just influencer marketing. That, mm-hmm. That's all this is. Whether someone's yeah. aligned, because like, I know I'll probably speak for the both of us here. I won't have a brand sponsor the salesman podcast or our content unless it's something I've used that I can get behind because I will always insist on doing ads that are, hey, this is my opinions on XYZ product. You should probably go and buy it. It's useful for you. It's not useful for you. Here's a discount code. I won't just do an ad read for something just generic that, I don't know, I'm never going to use. Like we had Peloton sponsor the show. Um, I think they sponsored it twice now, but over a number of months. And my partner bought a Peloton bike. So I was like, hey, I'll I'll give it a go if it's, if it's mm-hmm. not for me, because maybe I don't want to ride a bike to music and whatever spin classes are um, and then I found that there's a setting on there where you just have a nice scenic ride go at your own pace and you're just following obviously they stuck a camera on the front of a bike and you're going across the Alps or you're you know in the Rockies or wherever it is I was like hey I can talk about this because I enjoy it now what this is is clearly Harry doing the same thing hey I've used this service um, I can get behind this and I'm going to make a shit ton of money from promoting it because my face is worth X hundred thousand or millions of dollars so I don't think this is a play of from Harry. I don't know this. I don't know Harry. Um, but this clearly isn't a play of, I really believe in this organization. Because what you do is add funding to it. You 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 don't need to necessarily stick your face on the side of it. Um, you know, maybe you'd volunteer for it. You know, if you were really uh, kind of passionate about it, you wouldn't become like a brand, a brand ambassador, which is basically what it is. Yeah, like I said, zo- zooming out from the personalities involved in this, I think it's an interesting approach because I think as, you know, especially going through this pandemic, I'm, I'm sure this app has been bumped on quite a bit just because of that. So it's great to have something there for the folks. So anyway, leave us some feedback on this week in sales. What do you think about BetterUp, a mental health and coaching app? Do you use one? That'd be interesting if you use one. Let us know. Victor, as a small business owner, would you use, and there's apps and services that promise to do this. I've never used them. And I'm thinking this from a salesperson's perspective, someone who's listened to this. Would you use an app that was um, cost appropriate to ring up an expert in, for example, hey, my camera system's falling apart, I can't get the microphone to work, whatever it is, I've got a hardware tech issue, I'm recording in an hour. Would you use an app to speak to an expert in a domain like that um, to get that quick fix and, and, and that potential problem solved? I think not. I think, you know, that's what Geek Squad was for Best Buy, right? If you go to Geek Squad, they can answer all your questions. I think we live in a world where, you know, the, a lot of the information is available on YouTube and I can go watch a video. I would rather exercise that option first. And I usually, it's amazing. I mean, yesterday, if I can just bore you with this detail, my wife and I decided to tackle, tackle a big housing problem. And that is bathroom fan. And so we want to install a bathroom fan with beautiful lights and a Bluetooth speaker, right? And the first thing we did was go to, to the YouTube and there it was, it laid it out. And uh, we installed it, we just had one small hiccup, which we'll correct today, but no need to call an expert. 
I mean, they laid, they laid out the video for free. People do this. This is amazing about YouTube. People record stuff for free. Maybe they're getting sponsorships or some type of commission off the video views, but it's amazing how many people just video something because they just want to show you what they did. But you said that like you were surprised that people do this. No, no, no. I, we're doing it right I, now. I get, we're producing free content no, no, yeah, for yeah. an audience. <laughs> we are wait, literally wait, wait, the, 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 the person you're talking about. Okay, let me let me be clear. I, I, I was surprised that this went down to the model number. Like, here's a obscure product, the SKU number, that's like, you know, you think you're not going to find this, and you type in the SKU number, and boom, there it is. You know what I mean? That's what shocked me. We're reaching a broader audience, but this is like so... If micro had a micro niche, it would be that. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I was shocked by that. So, maybe I shouldn't be. But I don't think I'd call an expert well. I don't think I would. You know what? Because it's always like, how do they qualify these experts? See, that would be a question I would ask. How do you qualify these experts? Because if I call you up and you go, oh, you know, I'm going to be like, okay, this is a worthless app. So, I don't think, I don't know if I'd use it. Like mental health, and I'm not trying to like ding the mental health uh, professionals, but Sometimes your job is just to listen and help clarify. Whereas opposed to a product, you better really know your product. And there's so many ways you can configure something that that would be difficult. So I think I can see why this app would work. I can see why a technical call up a technical app might not work. The reason I asked that I could be is wrong. if that's your experience and there is a video with that skew online and your confidence that you can solve most of your own problems, uh, pre-purchase, uh, installation, post-purchase, what is the place for salespeople in the future? For them to go to somebody like, like us. This is why they're listening no, 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 to I this mean, podcast. For, for the buyer. Why, why would a buyer speak to a salesperson if you wouldn't use someone that could probably acutely solve a problem? If you wouldn't use a service like this, essentially what we're talking about is is sales and customer success. Why, why if there's so much content down to the skew, why would, why would we need salespeople? It, it, in this case, it would be willingness to want to implement it yourself. So for me, sure. we were willing. We were willing to invest the time and do it ourselves. But your question is really good. It's a very good question because this is why I think a lot of people are going to be pushed out because I'll do a lot of this myself, but I'll get to the point, again, where I want you to clarify, give me the content, I can do it. I just got some questions to ask. And so if I'm not willing to do it, I'm going to hire you. Like we've talked about this. Sometimes when we're redoing our studio, sometimes I wish I could just pay somebody just do the studio for me. You know, just put, here's what I want, put everything in place. I don't care. Here's the tab, go do it. And so I think there's always going to be room for both of those, the do-it-yourselfers and people who just said, I don't want to do it, you do it. Sure. I agree. And do you think this might be a split then, and we can wrap up the show with this, between B2C sales and B2B sales? Or B2C, people will go, well, I can save a bit of money. I don't have to get on an awkward sales call. I don't have to faff around. I can do this research. Maybe I enjoy doing this research. Maybe I'm interested in interior design and I want the Bluetooth speaker in my fan and I want it to connect and do this, this, and this. So they might do it themselves. We're in the B2B space. People are going, right, I've got a problem. It needs to be solved. As long as the problem is here, I look like an idiot because the problem isn't solved. Let's just bring in the experts to do it. Is there a, perhaps a, a gap here between B to C where we might see more um, people doing fixing problems themselves and B to B where it's more appropriate to have an expert come in and just just wipe the the slate clean? Yes, there's there's always been that 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 spectrum, right? Simple transactional complex. So I'll give you one example. I came from the telecom industry, and sometimes when I put a proposal together, it could have, I don't know, almost 200 lines of items to build a tower, you know, and it was so detailed, so complex that a person had to do it. And so in those cases, you, you want to hire somebody to do it, 
because you don't want to touch that thing. And then the other inspection, again, you can do it yourself. Why not? But yeah, that's a good point. There is a big difference. Fair enough. Well, anyone who's in B2C right now, unless you're selling uh, fish finger screens on the front of uh, freezer cabinets, <laughs> Victor's going to be your best customer. Everyone else, maybe complex B2B sales <laughs> other than Google Cloud, who are now capping the commissions. That's where you want to be. Anything else to add, Victor, before we wrap up? No, I think it's been a good show. I, I enjoy talking to you again. Well, every week, it's just a joy. <laughs> Well, I enjoy just a joy being on show. I enjoy so, time with you, mate. Hopefully, the, yeah, the audience yeah. enjoys this as well. Otherwise, it's been for nothing, absolutely yeah. for nothing. Um, well, I will. I'll say I'll be back two weeks from now, so we'll reconnect. What date are we going to record? Just for the audience and any super fans listening, we'll be back recording on the fifteenth of April. So the show will come out a couple of days after that. Um, I will hopefully have a lovely break. I will speak to you probably in the meantime, Victor uh, and the audience. If you've got any questions, if you've got any feedback, if you've got any stories, maybe on the fifteenth when we record, we'll have a bumper episode because we'll have two or three weeks worth of content to cover and hopefully there'll be some exciting news in the sales space then. Uh, if you've got anything you want to share with us and get it on the show, drop us a message over at thisweekinsales.com or leave a comment below this video, whether you're watching it on Victor's YouTube channel, my YouTube channel, uh, LinkedIn, wherever it's been shared and spread. And with that, that was Victor Antonio, sales legend. My name is Will Barron, founder of salesman.org and we'll speak with you in a couple of weeks on This Week in Sales. <laughs>